are now listening to an exclusive interview only on uclaradio.com. So you you were a part of your college radio station at uh, Southern Connecticut State University. Can you talk a little bit about your experience um, outside of expanding your music taste at the radio station? Like, how was it like? How did you guys operate? You know, how much was the school administration involved with y'all? Just kind of general stuff like that. Ugh, it was it was an interesting experience. I will say that um, the school administration was like not involved in pretty much any of the day-to-day goings-on at the radio station, which I think was mostly because the broadcast range of the station was so small. It was a very tiny AM station, and there were, like, even some, I think, uh, uh, some dormitory halls that it, the, the broadcast range didn't even reach. Um, so because of that, I think uh, th- there was just, like, not a whole lot of uh, things that could possibly you know could potentially go wrong as a result of just like kind of setting it and forgetting it in a way which um you know did of course have its its downsides out of like all the college clubs who were kind of like the the black sheep of all the clubs in a way like for example i remember when we uh we had a brand new student center built uh they, they kind of like fitted the student center for uh pretty much every you know essential club uh, that was on campus except for ours. So we, so for a year, our radio station was still stuck at the old student center, and uh, and until they eventually like, you know, we got like the boards and electronics and the transmitter and everything set up on the new building, and then we finally like were able to progress over. So there was uh, again not a whole lot of like school interest or school involvement in what we were doing but I, I think the upside to that was that it allowed us to just kind of like do our shows and do our do our programming at kind of long pace and get creative with it and just like you know be able to experiment and just have the open space to just be able to fail and um you know be able to learn from our mistakes and just kind of do things on our own terms how large was the the club or the radio station like how many people were actively a part of it i mean most of the the, for the two years that i was there uh as the general manager we had um you know pretty much all of the normal uh I want to say, you know, morning to, uh, you know, late morning to uh, very late evening hours booked for a good part of the week. So, you know, we, we weren't necessarily like struggling for for programming or for people to come in and, and do a show or anything. You know, we were, um, you know, we, we definitely had a lot of members to, to keep track of and keep account of. What what was your like? Um, as you mentioned, you were the general manager of your radio station. What what was that experience like? Being basically like in charge of this um, entire operation. Uh, it was it was a lot of responsibility for a young person. Um, I'll say that, but I mean, it was overall it was a good experience. I mean, you know, there were a lot of points at which it involved a lot of like busy work or. I guess um, 
you know, very adult responsibilities that maybe I wasn't 100% ready to take on at that time, but I still did my best to kind of get through it. And then there were other points where it was kind of like really fun to sort of have control and do ambitious things. Like, you know, we had concerts that we put on, we did some DJ nights, we did some sporting announcement events. We did, um, uh, you know, one year that I was there, we put out a compilation, a CD compilation of like all local artists from the campus and everything. So it was, it was cool to be able to, you know, undertake ambitious, uh, ideas like that and do fun stuff. And, um, uh, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, those are some of the things that, that again, occurred while I was GM. And there were other points where it was kind of like babysitting, you know, just trying to keep people in line and just keep people following the rules. I mean, you know, it's 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 got its upsides and its downsides, but I'm glad I did it. I mean, it definitely you know, sort of, like, set me on a, uh, a path to do what I'm doing now, for sure. That's that's super cool. Um, it's, it's, glad, it's cool to hear that because we kind of, like, here at UCLA Radio do very similar things where we'll have uh, concerts and we'll have DJ stuff and we'll put out like zines and artists stuff like that. So it's nice to hear that like the spirit of college radio um, has kind of remained over the course of time when music has been like evolving um, so drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of like take it back a little bit um, after your college radio time um, when you first started your YouTube channel um, and like let's say you've got like a hundred subscribers or whatever. Um, how were you able to grow your channel and increase your audience? And do you remember um, any videos in your early days on YouTube that really increased traffic onto your channel? The traffic for the YouTube channel has always been like a very slow upward hike. And maybe that doesn't seem like as, maybe that doesn't seem so true because these days, you know, there are instances where, um, I'll drop a review, and I, I think the Igor review is an example of this, you know, where I think, uh, you know, it'll net, like, 1.5 million views in, like, a day or something, but honestly, it's, like, it's it's taken a long time to build up until this point. Um, you know, at, at, at really, it's, um, it all kind of came down to just consistently putting out content as much as possible um, for as long as I could, and just sort of snowballing you know the the amount of views and subscribers and engagement i've been getting over the past decade on youtube because i've I've been on youtube for 10 years at this point which seems like uh you know it 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 seems like it was only yesterday that i started my channel or something like that because a lot of it's such a blur because i'm just like constantly just grooving at this same kind of pace but thinking back on it it has been a very long time and in that span of time, a lot of YouTubers have kind of come and gone and, uh, you know, gone from like the biggest thing and they're doing like, you know, made for TV movies or some crap like that. And now they're just like completely irrelevant. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have been able to kind of earn my living on YouTube throughout that entire time without having to, you know, worry about everything I'm doing being pulled out from under me like a rug. Um, if that you know answers your question was there any um video where like it, like your first vi- viral in air quotes like video where you got a lot of views and you're like whoa like yeah, i can yeah, kind of yeah, turn yeah, this yeah, into yeah. something um yeah i i have to say no you know there wasn't really like any one video that was just like bam this is like 
you know, the most views I've ever gotten. It's always just been like a very slow upward hike. And but the but the way I've kind of gotten exposure is that, <clears throat> you know, one thing on YouTube that they recommend to you in the handbook is to, you know, engage in a practice called tentpole programming, and that's you know essentially coming out with a video that is oriented around a cultural event that you are kind of commentating on or reflecting on or doing something in relation to. And, you know, that's exactly what the album review process in and of itself is. You know, every single time a new album comes out, people are searching for that record. People are looking up that record. People want to hear that album. People want to find out things about that album. And within that span of time that people are interested in the album that has come out, you know, I'm just trying to put out a video that, lands in the search engine people search they look and they stumble across what i do they try it out out of curiosity and that's just kind of been the repeat process you know over the past decade and um you know that's that's sort of what has slowly built the audience up until this point um and yeah as you mentioned you have been doing youtube for uh, around 10 years if not more and you've you know become like one of the most successful uh, music reviewers in the music industry and with all that comes like a lot of work um like appearing on shows like this thank you by the way um how much more limited are you now with the amount of music that you can listen to um before you became um successful um geez i feel like i'm listening to more music now than i did before uh you know the channel really kind of blew up and took off uh mostly because i'm just trying to keep up with with so many things and on top of it it's it's so much easier to access so much more music uh now than it was when i first started out you know i mean i'd have to when i first started out i was buying every record that i was reviewing you know either that or i was going through the process of just like you know, trying to like struggle downloaded off of like some kind of uh, file sharing website or something, you know, and, and hope that it's like the quality is garbage or that it's actually the real version or some shit like that. Uh, you know, these days all I have to do is just fucking, excuse me, <laughs> all I have to do is hop on Apple Music and, uh, and it's, it's there. You know, it's, it's easy, it's simple, it's, uh, it's uh, not a problem. You can curse, by the way. It's okay. We're, oh, okay. we're we're like pirate radio. No one really pays us too much mind. Got it. Um, do you, do you think being requested a lot of this mainstream music has kind of like warped your music taste? Um, I've definitely become a, a lot more of a poptimist in my old age, but um, there are still like a lot of pop records and pop artists that uh, I I don't really find much interest in in commenting on and. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I'll leave that stuff for the fans to just kind of enjoy because I, I personally wouldn't really get much out of uh, trying to dissect it because I because I don't really think there's a whole lot to dissect there and not to single out pop music for for being that way. I think there are a fair amount of rock and hip hop and electronic records and, and records of other genres as well that uh, you know that sort of fit the same bill. Um, you know, it's sort of a stereotype that. Pop music is, uh, you know, not deep enough to, to really analyze. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, that's not necessarily the case. And I think that there's, uh, you know, a new generation of pop artists out there who, um, like Charlie XCX, for example, uh, you know, who are definitely making, you know, inarguably it's pop music. But, uh, you know, there's definitely something very alternative and very creative and, uh, 
um, you know, left field about it, even though it does still like appeal to uh, a very pop centric audience. So, you know, I would say it's a, a kind of a brave new world for pop. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying pop now more than I think I ever have. How often do you get to listen to music for your own personal enjoyment, you know, instead of like sitting down and like having to analyze it, just like kind of just popping in some earphones and just like listening to music? I will say I get a little time every week to do that, you know, but honestly, um, it's not as much my job preventing me from doing that much of the time, but, uh, you know, I have a lot of, uh, uh, personal and family stuff going on week to week that, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, uh, doesn't allow me, you know, a whole lot of like sit down and just like chill out and listen time. But, you know, I'm, I'm like your average person. I'll put on music while I'm doing stuff in the kitchen. I'll put on music while I'm doing some kind of work in the house or something. I'll put on some music in the background to do just about anything, you know, and that's where a lot of my casual listening sort of sits these days. Does your mind kind of like automatically go to like analyzing mode in those situations because you're kind of maybe no, because pretty... that's because that's work. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like at one time it was harder to shut that off, but these days, like if I if I'm not in the mood to work and I don't really want to be working, <laughs> I, I I don't force myself to do it. Right. Um, how, how often do you get to go to live shows nowadays? Uh, not a whole lot these days, but I'm. I'm trying to change that you know, i went to a few more this past summer than i think i have in a while and um uh i'm planning on trying to see shushu this fall potentially and when you do go to these um shows um do you kind of get any kind of sort of reaction from the fans in public or at these you know venues yeah yeah you know it, it happens but you know you just play a chill and most people are cool and just want to say hi and tell you that they like your content and there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, that's all. It's a, I've, I've never had like a super horrible interaction with anybody at a show or anything. And generally my audience is, uh, is pretty chill. So, you know, it's, it's not been a problem and, uh, you know, it's, it's always nice to know that I can, I guess, just show up to a concert by myself and run into a bunch of people who, <laughs> sexually or kind of like my my one-way internet friends what's the most um what's the favorite what's your favorite live show that you've been to um as of late you know i did catch that daughter's show when they came to my neck of the woods that i thought was pretty amazing uh a little bit further back than that uh david byrne behind his latest record did a great amazing live show with some awesome uh you know stage setups where everybody was kind of like in a gray suit and uh all of their instruments were wireless so they were like getting together in these weird like marching band patterns and gallivanting all over the stage it was pretty awesome um that was great uh you know a concert that always kind of continues to you know sit in the back of my head whenever i think of any concerts i've been to uh is definitely a concert I talked about on my channel in the first year. It was a 2009 Sun show. I saw it at the Brooklyn Masonic Temple, and it was easily like the loudest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, you know, my glasses were like literally shaking on my face. Um, I was like front row, like right up against the stage for the whole thing. Like, you know, glasses were shaking my face, teeth were rattling in my mouth. 
um, it was really intense and uh, felt like it lasted forever. Has seeing any live performance kind of changed your perspective on a specific album or an artist? It happens every once in a while. Um, I can't think of any uh, any uh, examples off the uh, uh, top of my head, but it, it does happen every once in a while. I, w- I was listening to your No Jumper interview and. You um, had an anecdote about um, going to a Kendrick show and how you you just couldn't get to see him live, but then uh, you ran into him or he ran into you and kind of he kind of knew who you were. Um, Do you have any kind of like fun, your favorite memories interacting with like musical artists? Um, I've had a few funny ones here and there. That Kendrick one was pretty funny. I had a weird interaction with... Danny Brown and and uh, and Kitty at one point where they were sort of like on this college tour and they were and they hit up a college in my area and I just sort of like met them for the first time at this uh, at this like frat house and it was it was just kind of a funny situation. Um, they they were good. Um, meeting Denzel Curry uh, as well was pretty awesome uh, before. Uh, before um, uh, he came out with uh, with Taboo, uh, it was pretty cool. I went to this Texas uh, music festival, and uh, I was just like, kind of minding my own business and just like, you know, doing my thing. And this like huge dude came up to me, and he's like, "Hey, are you Anthony Fantano?" I was like, "Uh, yeah." And he's like, "Denzel Curry's here, and he wants to talk to you." And I'm like, <laughs> uh, "Okay, giant man." You know, number one and number two, it's like, wait a second. The last review I did of Denzel Curry was like a six out of ten. Is he like fucking pissed at me or something? <laughs> and then, um, you know, I, I met the guy, and and he was like, uh, you know, super chill and uh, excited to talk, and um, uh, you know, sort of like was telling me some, uh, uh st- you know, about some of the stuff he was working on, and told me, you know, the next record was going to be a big undertaking, which it obviously ended up being. Um, you know, so th- there have been a few, but most of the time, uh, you know, meet- meetings with meetings with artists and run-ins and that sort of thing, um, you usually end up being pretty civil, pretty chill, you know, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. Cause everybody's just a person at the end of the day trying to get, trying to get through life. Um, so, you know, with, with this level of success that you've managed to achieve, how do you feel about. Um, the fact that you've kind of become like a meme or like the memification of Anthony Fantano, like on these like music forums. And then that kind of the oh, memification has kind of spread over into like Twitter and like pop culture stuff as well. How do you feel about that? Yeah, the memification is, is totally fine. And I mean, I totally embrace it because it's a, uh, it's definitely a sign of, of, of I'm doing something right. You know I mean? I feel like if, um, if the audience of something is uh, is making a meme out of it, that shows they're engaged with it and they're paying attention and they're kind of like creating some type of communal humor around that thing as uh, you know as 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 a group, as an identity, as uh, you know a batch of people with a particular interest. Um, to me, it's it's just a it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. Um, so we've got a chat going on UCLAradio.com, and people keep asking. Um, what you think about Archers of the Loaf or Archers of Loaf? 
I, I I played one song before the interview and I did not like it, and now they're ripping me to pieces. And you didn't like it? I know they're a classic band, but I haven't gotten deep enough into their stuff to really like make any sort of profound comment on any of it. Okay, well there you go, chat. Finally, now you can stop asking. Um, you what's what's what was up with your Peppa the Pig uh, um, album review? First ten out of ten of the year. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic record. Changing it's changing the game. The uh, the Freddie Gibbs feature was amazing, and um, I can't believe they got him on the album. And um, I hear uh, I hear Dr. Dre is going to be producing the next one since this one went you know went over so well. So I'm pretty excited. I, I absolutely cannot wait for the sequel. Hopefully, we don't have a second second album slump. Um, we'll, we'll... Yeah, me too. I mean, you know, and and even if we even if we do, I mean, I feel like this first album and, and Peppa's ability to um, you know to perform and songwrite is so good. Uh, she if she continues at this pace, she's essentially going to put Anderson Pack out of a job. Wow. High praise. High praise from Anthony Fantano. Um, before I let you go, I just want to kind of like a little anecdote about how I kind of my first ever experience, like watching one of your videos, I was in um, 10th grade and Death Grips was like kind of just becoming like a new thing. And, you know, all my friends and all the cool kids were like, oh, Death Grips is so good. And I hated having to pretend to like Death Grips just to like get along. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's so good. Like, I love, you know, that third song. It was awesome. And I was like, who is this band? And then I would like went on YouTube and I searched uh, Death Grips and I found your um, your review, your 10 out of 10 review. And, you know, that's how it all kind of began. So um, and now we've come full circle. And now we've come full circle. Well, I, I apologize for turning you on to Death Grips. <laughs> no, no, you have not turned me on. I do not like Death Grips. Um, or you just don't like them good. No, no, I, I'm not a fan of Death Grips. I like music that I can sing along to, like Peppa the good. Pig. Um, exactly. So thank you, my fellow Pac-Man Maine, for coming on to the show. I really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No problem. All right, man. Have a good one. Do you have any plugs you wanna you wanna get off? I know you have a live live show coming up soon. Yeah, I have some. Uh, if you're listening and you're from the East Coast, I have some live dates coming up in August twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth, over in Massachusetts, New York, and Connecticut. You can. Uh, probably find some info on that on my instagram a fantano or on a twitter.com slash the needle drop and uh yeah thank you for listening all right thank you so much anthony have a good one man all right bye man <laughs>